Thank you for listening to the Convergence Podcast. We pray that God speaks to you during this message and that he moves in your life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The word of God is truth. You should have said amen to that. If we said amen to Jesus, we have to say amen to his word. So let's try that again. The word of God is truth. The word of God is absolute truth. That was good. That stayed consistent. Very good. I never lower the word of God to fit my lifestyle. The word of God is always held high. And I asked the Father to fill me with his love, which accompanies his power, his anointing, his grace, his, all that, to actually get me to a place where I'm living the word. Jesus is the word. And when I live fully for him, I, I begin to live the word. Does that make sense to y'all? I said, y'all, that's it's a little country. People think that the word of God is an intrusion. Culture and society foundationally is sustained and supported, if I say this rightly, by the word of God. The scripture says that The Father has put his laws, written them on our heart and on our mind. So that means that every single person that's created by the Lord already has the laws of God written on their mind and in their heart. I have four amazing grandchildren who sit so quietly in church because they have amazing parents. (laughs) And by nature, they know the things that are actually written in the word. They know not to murder, kill, because God has written those laws on their heart. They are born with also a sinful nature because children can take something and say it's mine and not want to share it. There's a selfishness, there's, a, there's that sinful nature that pulls us even we, we can see that readily in our children. We didn't teach our kids to be selfish. They're naturally, they can naturally act that way. It's like, where did they learn that? They didn't learn that from, well, hopefully they didn't learn that from their parents. So the word of God is not an intrusion. It's actually given to us by a loving father. 
a heavenly father. Now, this helped me so many years ago understand the laws of God, and I want to share it with you in the 12 minutes and 48, 47, 46 seconds that I have. So I have to start with this, and this is a very familiar portion of Scripture. Of course, I am bouncing around like crazy trying to find the passage. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does does not know God because God is love. It doesn't say God knows about love. It says God is love. So the very essence of who God is, is love. What kind of love are we talking about? Well, there's four different types of love that are expressed in the Bible, which we're not going to go there. But the word that is used in association to who God is, is agape love or sacrificial love. Because in our culture, we don't separate the definition of love. So I could, I could love that, you know, I could love my dog, Macy, and I could love, you know, I do love It's It, so I'll say that. If you don't know what it is, you should have one. I love It's It's, and I love my wife, and I love Jesus. So I, I have used love to define ice cream, to define my dog, my wife, and the Lord. We don't have a good definition of love. But the kind of love that we're talking about here in Scripture is a sacrificial love. It's not I love you. It's not I love that's based on I love you um, if or I love you because. It's I love you, period. You don't have to perform for me in order for me to love you. Now, I don't mind filling in the blanks of I love you because you're kind and because you're, but the kind of love that God loves us with doesn't have quantifiers. It's an unconditional, sacrificial love that simply says, I love you, period. No quantifiers. So it says in Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28, that we are created in his image and likeness. So we have to start with this. If we mess up on our view of who God is, then we mess up interpreting this. If we don't have an accurate picture or understanding of who God is, if we, if we miss this mark right here, then we're going to miss the mark of what this is all about. So if we see God as a judge, and he will judge, but if we see God as a, primarily as a judge, as a person who's looking down, disconnected, uninformed, 
and really is looking for ways to scold us so we can't approach him, or if we do approach him, we do it in a way that don't hurt me, God. Like he's way up here, and he's a bit ticked off at times, and he's really not somebody who's well-pleased with you. Then you're going to view this as nothing more than laws and rules that you better follow in order to keep this guy okay. But the scripture says, God is love. That means when we talk about the love of God, we say that God is omniscient. That's a little theology, saying that God is all-knowing. But God is lovingly all-knowing. Listen, if God is all-knowing and he knows your every thought, come on now. Like your every thought, come on now. But God knows your every thought in a loving capacity. So every thought, his heart is always towards you. His heart is always for you, not against you. When we talk about the omnipotence of God, God is all powerful, that could be a scary thing. Power in the wrong hands becomes tyranny. So when we talk about the omnipotent, the power of God, he's lovingly all-powerful. He's not hateful. He's lovingly all-powerful. If he's, if he's omnipresent, he's lo- where he's everywhere at once. He's lovingly present everywhere at once. Everyone just say it. If you're on YouTube, just say it. It's very simple. God is love. Just say it. So when the Lord made creation, which we read in Genesis, he made it at two levels. Now stay with me just for a moment. He made creation, say animate or inanimate. Don't say it. I mean, I said say, but you don't have to say it. I said say because I was just, it's a filler word. He made creation moral and non-moral. So when he, who was the guy that used to have the afro that used to be the painter? Bob Ross. Bob Ross. He mesmerized me, man. He always do the same thing, though. It's a cabin in a hill. See, I, I, okay. That's, that's, I must have saw a rerun back then or whatever. So, so he always started with the canvas, right? So he's painting, you don't, you don't know what he's going to, but he starts with the canvas and then he gets to more detail and then he gets to the, then he gets to the, like the highlight of the painting and he goes ahead and this, for me, it was like a cabin or it was a house or it was a something, but he started here, he, he threw the mountains in, he threw the trees in because he always, I, I never, see, I never saw him paint a beach. It was just mountains, trees, and a house. And he was, he was on television for like, I don't know, a million years. All right? So there he is. So when God created, he created the heavens and the earth. God is what? Love. He creates the heaven and the earth. He creates, secondly, he creates the vegetation, the trees, the oceans. Like, these are all non-moral Creation, and then he creates the animals, and he creates 
He creates the animals. He creates the lots of animals. He creates insects. He creates, those are all non-moral. In other words, God has, they cannot make moral choices. They don't make moral choices. So birds do birdie things. They migrate. God has just locked it in. Cows do cowy things. Giraffes do giraffey things. You get the picture. Panthers do panther things, right? Because God has locked that into his creation, but now the Lord is getting to the point of the, of the painting that everyone is to see, like the prize of the painting, and he creates mankind. And he says that in creating mankind, he said it was very good. But he introduced something when he created mankind. He, he introduced choice. Why did he introduce choice? Because you can't have love without choice. Now, in some cultures, a man can marry a woman and force her to do many things. Like, you can force people to do things, but you can never force somebody to love you. Because love requires freedom. So when God made man, he didn't make us non-moral. He made us with the ability to choose. And he's written his laws in our heart as a means of giving us direction to actually choose. So why did God make man the way he did? Because the scripture says that we are made in his image and his likeness. Why did he make man in his image? When I say man, I'm talking about humanity, men and women, in his image and his likeness. Did he create us? so that we can do something for him. So in other words, did he create us so that we can serve him? Did he create us so we can worship him? Did he create us so that, you can just name the list, right? Work for him. What was the motive of God the Father who is love, why did he create you with the ability to choose? God did not, let me just submit something to you. God did not create us to extract something from us. God created us with the capacity in his image and likeness. 
God created us to give us something. And that something is himself. This is why you're created in his image and likeness. It's not to take something from you. It actually, he's created you in his image, in his likeness, with the capacity to relate to him. We love because he first loved us. He's created humanity with the capacity to relate to him as God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he's created us not to extract something from us, but to actually give us something, and that something is himself, because that's what love does. And that is so foundational for us to understand, for all humanity actually to understand, because even when Adam and Eve sinned, and we know about the fall, and the fall was monstrous and all, even then, he still humbled himself, came as a child, and he went to the cross so that he could actually repair the breach, so to speak, take care of the sin issue so that he can come to us again and say, I want to come into your life. Here's what that tells me. I can't live how God originally planned and destined and purposed for me to live outside of a relationship with Jesus. In other words, I fall short of God's purpose and design for my life. My original design, I fall short in if I live separated from the one who has designed me to be inhabited by God himself. You see, when you get saved, it's more than your spirit getting saved. Your mind gets saved. It's called, he's given us the mind of Christ. Your personality gets saved. Every part of you gets saved and you are actually now living as you have, you were originally designed to live. Does that make sense? So when I got saved at the early age of 16, I was quiet, I was reserved, I wasn't super confident, I was trying to find myself, but when I got saved, it was far more than my, quote, spirit man getting saved. When I got saved, all of me got saved. That means I was like this, and now I'm like this. After I got saved, you couldn't shut me up. Not that I was, anyway. 
So, and then I was just talking to some people yesterday, getting married. I don't want to say their names, but anyway, just hanging out. And they were talking about their conversion experience. And I told them, I said, listen, when you got saved, every part of you got saved. Like the person that you were designed to be, let's say the person that God originally knit me, Psalm 139, knit me in the womb of my mom. There was a purpose, there was a destiny that God foresaw. And because of sin, I actually separated myself from that purpose and destiny of how I'm designed to live. And then when I got saved, I come in line with my purpose, my destiny, who I am. He saves us completely. It's the love of God. God is, everyone say it, God is love. So now I'm over time, four minutes. Let me wrap this up. If God has designed me to give me something, and that something is himself, and I come into that reality of accepting Christ. Accepting Jesus is not about conformity. Accepting Jesus is about transformation of my life the way it was intended to be. So that means that people who don't know Jesus and let's say they never know Jesus, they never would have known what their life could have been. And they're gonna spend the rest of eternity thinking about it. It's, it's more than eternal separation from God. It's eternal separation knowing that this is what I could have been. This is what I could have done. This is how God really had wired me. And these are the things I'm living with right now. These are the realities that I'm cho- I've chosen in my life. I reject it. And people don't go to, let's just say, people don't go to hell because God put them there. They go to hell because they made a choice to go there. You have to keep resisting the love of God all the way to your grave. And then when you, when you resist the love of God all the way to your grave, you think that God's going to say, oh, okay, that's fine, go ahead. No, love requires a choice, always. It'll never change. It'll never change because love requires us, liberty, freedom requires choice. Now, God's heart is always moving forward towards us, always reaching towards us. His compassion and his mercy and his grace continues to reach us, continues to, but then at at some point, we're going to not be alive on this planet that we're actually going to go face the Lord now as father and judge. And what's tragic is that there's this, if there's this continual rejection, your heart grieves because this is what they could have been. This is what, how God wired them to be, and they kept rejecting it because they have this false view of God. For some reason, God's going to rob me of something. God's going to take me away from something. Like all, all those things that we think about because we don't understand that God is love.
So what's his word? It's a loving word. The laws of God aren't intrusions. The laws of God is the owner's manual for how we're designed to live. Do I understand everything here? No. But I trust my father because he built the car. Does that make sense? When I don't, when I'm not living how I'm designed to live, it's kind of like, I always use this illustration as I've used it for years, it's simple, it's kind of dumb, but it's kind of like trying to work a computer on the, in the bottom of a pool somewhere. It's just not going to work because it's not designed to work underwater naturally. Now, somebody you're really creative, build a case, and you'll figure out how to do it. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about it in this raw aspect. Like, it has to be plugged into some power source. It could be a battery. It could, because that's how it's designed. We are designed to live in the presence of God. We are designed for God to inhabit our lives. Anything less than that, we begin to short circuit. Obviously there's a, uh, there's a war for, there's a war going on regarding what truth is and what truth, like, I've heard things like super ridiculous, like, that's your truth, but here's my truth. No, it's really, this is your opinion, and this is my opinion. When we take the laws of God out of a culture, we disintegrate. We've, we've rejected our original design and we begin to live in sin. Sin, the word, the word sin means missing the mark. So we live missing the mark. And sin is insanity because it hasn't worked for anybody yet. But we keep doing it. And right now, there's a... The only thing I really wanted to communicate, there was only one simple truth. God is love. God has given us his word his word is life, and it's an expression of his love toward us. And when we live the word, we're actually living the way God has designed us to live. So quit fighting, trying to live by the word. And you're always going to have somebody's, you're always going to have that, you know, the enemy, the flesh. But if you don't understand that God is love, if you don't understand that he has his highest good, He's pursuing your highest good always and that the word of God is actually to bring us into this place of understanding our full potential and capacity. 
then, and in experiencing the love of God, then it's easy for me to live by the word. It's never a have to, it's a get to. I don't have time to go into this today. Maybe I'll go into it maybe next week. We don't war against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers. So when you start seeing people burning Bibles in a city, there's something very prophetic about that. You think people start taking Bibles and taking them out of our schools, taking prayer out of our schools, taking, oh man. Leaving God out of a, a pledge. When you, begin, when you begin to do this and you're successful, you're, trying to be successful at doing this, then what is truth? What is it? If you take the word of God out of a nation, you take the word of God out of a city, you take the word of God, doesn't matter. If you take it out, then there's got to, what is truth? Truth will be defined by the person or persons who are actually leading that particular country, nation, city, doesn't matter. Truth then is up to policy. We're not of that world. We live by the word. And there's a, there's a battle. I learned a long time ago, I don't know how true it is, I'm, I'm 13 minutes over, I can't go more than 15, that's, right, the clock is like, Wah! I think it was back in the 80s or 90s. I found out that in a communist country, the first thing they do is burn Bibles. They get rid of them. Because then the state becomes and has the authority over your life. It's time to be vigilant. It's a time to pray. It's a time to believe. It's a time to get and continue to be anchored in the word, to fight for the word. There was a pastor I followed a couple, I don't know, a couple months ago. Can't remember his name, but super popular guy, good preacher. He said, righteousness begins first with me. Like, I got to lead myself in a place of righteousness. Then it needs to be, I need to lead my family in righteousness. And then the church has to be righteous, has to walk in righteousness. And then I have to hold my city or my local authorities to righteousness. Like I have to make them aware of righteousness. Do you know that in Romans chapter 13, it talks about government. 
that it's actually, God has actually delegated authority to the government and it's our responsibility as believers to make sure that that authority is functioning righteously. That's why we have to vote. That's why we have to be involved. That's why you have to connect. That's why we have to, because God has delegated authority and he has given us, he has called us ecclesia to actually legislate and actually actually influence local authorities or whatever authorities to actually live righteously or to act righteously and righteously is based on the word. Righteousness is not... Oh, I'll just hit more next week, okay? I'll just say that. So how do I want to wrap this up? Don't live separated from God. You're not designed to live that way. Don't ignore the principles of the word because it's actually the love of God, the perfect love of God that's given us his word so we actually live in the fullness of how he's wired us and called us. Quit resisting. Just stop it. Stop resisting. You think that you can go ahead and make your life better than the one who actually created you? I think it was Billy Graham or someone says, people who don't know Jesus, keep resisting Jesus, are believing a lie. And they're empowering that lie. Pride, maybe you don't feel like you're I don't know. You're not good enough. You feel like maybe you have to reach a standard. You, there's a lot of things that we, we trip over. You just come as you are. You just come as you are. It's simple. You just ask Jesus to come into your heart, to come into your life, forgive you of your sin. Come in. It could be so theologically complicated, you spend your entire life trying to, the depth of the word of God, but it's so simple that a child could understand it. So if you're watching me via online, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus. If you've walked away from the Lord, Why? Why? Well, I felt like, you know, God's been unjust to me. There's no one been, who's been treated unjustly more than Jesus. If you're in this room, you need to come to know Jesus. Invite him into your heart, into your life. The simplest saying, in fact, we should all just say this. All right? You guys want to all say it together? Saved and unsaved. Hopefully everyone's saved. Jesus. Everyone say it loud. Come on. Jesus. Thank you for coming. For living. For dying on the cross. For my sins. I ask you, Jesus. 
to forgive me of my sins. And I invite you to come and live in my heart. From now on, I choose out of love to live for you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you for all of our friends and family that are here, for those that are online. God, I pray that as we begin to grow into this dimension and just begin talking about it, that really starts with a loving father who cares for his kids. That the Bible is not some do's and don'ts book. It's actually life for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would empower us to live your word. Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength and the anointing from heaven. We ask that you would fill us. May we walk, be men and women who walk in righteousness, not because we have to, it's because the love of God's poured into our hearts. It's natural. And we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. For more messages just like this, go ahead and subscribe to our channel. God bless.